All right, we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 31 tonight. This is a continuation of the same a little section of teaching that we started last week. Uh, if you weren't here last week, you can always catch up on podcasts, on YouTube, all good stuff we have it recorded. Um, we're going to end up talking a little bit about the Holy Spirit tonight. Um, there's a lot that's happening in this passage, but um, we kind of wanted to key in on that. Uh, Jesus is here as part of what they call his farewell discourse, which is a lengthy in John, uh, his kind of journey towards the cross, where he's preparing his disciples for what comes after uh, the cross for them. And so it says this, verse 15 of uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are also those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and, and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, To those who love me, those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and he will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not, uh, whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. Verse 25, I have said these things to you while I am still here with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me, but I do as my Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Now rise, let us be on our way. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. All right, so tonight we're going to talk again a little bit about the Holy Spirit. Um, as Jesus seeks to comfort his disciples, he talks to them about this good news of the Advocate, the one who will come as Jesus leaves. He talks about the Holy Spirit, and the church, I would argue, has been mostly uncomfortable and fighting about it ever since. We have largely not known what to do about this Holy Spirit, right? It's mysterious, it's strange, it leaves us at a little bit of a loss. We're not sure what to do with it. Uh, I, I thought this week, um, back about something I had read a while back, and I looked it back up um, by one of the writings of C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain. And C.S. Lewis used a particular image to talk about uh, the difference between, he's talking about the difference between fear and awe, or that, that thing that we have when we encounter the otherness of God. Uh, and he calls this encounter with the numinous, is, what, is the word that he uses. Here's, here's, here's his writing on it, about that kind of encounter. It says, those who have not yet met this term, that's numinous, uh, may be introduced to it by the following device. 
Suppose you were told that there is a tiger in the next room. You would know that you were in danger and would probably feel, feel, feel fear. But if you were told there is a ghost in the next room and believed it, you would feel indeed what is often called fear, but a different kind. It would not be based on the knowledge of danger, for no one is primarily afraid of what a ghost may do to him, but of the mere fact that, the, that it is a ghost. It is uncanny rather than dangerous. And the special kind of fear it excites may be called dread. With the uncanny one has re- was reached the fringes of the numinous. Now suppose that you were told simply there is a mighty spirit in the room and you believed it. Your feelings would then even be less like mere fear of danger, but the disturbance would be profound. You would feel wonder and a certain shrinking, a sense of inadequacy to cope with such a visitant and of prostration before it, an emotion which might be expressed in Shakespeare's words, under it my genius is rebuked. This feeling may be described as awe and the object which excites it as the numinous. This sense of encountering something that we don't know what to do with it, it kind of defies category and the weird feelings and senses that come with it, right? I think this gets at um, what can be so fundamentally disruptive about something like the Holy Spirit and why we might not want to talk about it. Even though there's much about Jesus to be in awe of or that is inspiring or mysterious about Jesus in one way or another, it's not hard for us to wrap our minds around a man who walks around and does incredible things. That's half of our movie characters right now, right? Here's a man, but he's a man who heals people, yes. He teaches kindness, he forgives, he includes those on the outskirts. These are all amazing things, but we know how to categorize it. But what do you do with the Holy Spirit? The mighty wind, the tongues of fire, the speaking in different languages, and everything else that we usually associate with it as we think about it. It feels very other than, and it's hard to know how to frame up our thoughts and conversations about it. I feel like I may have told this story before uh, about my first time encountering something uh, that was attributed to the Holy Spirit that I didn't know what to do with. I grew up in a tradition that was very um, buttoned down. We effectually referred to ourselves as the frozen chosen. Uh, not much happened in our church services that was not scripted. In fact, nothing happened in our church services that were not scripted. We were controlled. In our opinions, we were very cerebral and considered, although honestly we didn't really study much outside of our own tradition, but in our own minds we were. We didn't really talk about God in a way that went outside of our parameters, right? God for us, we would never use these terms, but honestly God was pretty tame and predictable. Uh, In ninth grade I moved to uh, about an hour away from the town I had grown up in. Uh, I didn't have many friends. One of the first friends I made had a father who was a pastor of another local church. Not too long after we moved in and we met, he invited me to go to church with him. I was just excited to have a new friend. I didn't ask questions. His friend pastored, uh, his friends, my friend's dad pastored a church in a denomination I'd honestly never heard of before. Uh, It turns out it was a more charismatic tradition, which I honestly didn't even know really existed up to this point in my life. I was pretty sheltered. I went to the same school at the same church my entire life up to that point. We walked in into the service and the first thing I saw was a set of drums on stage. And I thought, that's strange. They forgot to take those down after youth group. 
And then the service started, and boy, did it start. Uh, I literally sat frozen for the next, what felt like four hours, because I was used to a very concise one-hour service. Uh, in the first song, a group of uh, teenage or college girls came down, uh, all dressed very similarly, and they had these uh, ribbons on these sticks, and they had this choreographed kind of dance they were doing with the praise worship that was happening with a full band, drums, in church. They were dancing in church. We, you did not dance in church. The, church uh, the, the, the joke in my church is that we preached against premarital sex because we thought it might lead to dancing. The music had a beat to it, and it was eliciting a response from the audience. There was clapping, and there was raising of hands. I did not know what to do. People from the congregation were talking back to the pastor while he was preaching. You would get kicked out of my church for that kind of thing. Sometimes people were yelling. In fact, at one point during the final uh, set of music, which was lengthy, the person who was next to me, not my friend on this side, but the person who was next to me, stood up on the seat and began shouting in tongues. I literally spent most of that service sitting down, head down, trying to look like I was praying and kind of praying, but also trying to just pretend like what was happening around me was not happening. And at one point when the guy stood up next to me, God's honest truth, I started praying that I wouldn't be possessed by whatever he was possessed by because I was pretty sure it was evil. It had to be. I'd been to church my whole life, and I'd never seen anything like that happen. You could not have made a young, sincere Presbyterian kid at the time more uncomfortable than I was that day. It was out of control, and I found a way to avoid every other invitation to that church for the rest of the time we were friends. I honestly, at the time, could not even begin to conceive what any of that had to do with the God that I was taught growing up. I wanted nothing to do with it, right? Now, my, my exposure to the body of Christ and all the different parts of that body were very limited at that point. And I'm certainly in no interest today, have no interest in litigating the merits of different worship traditions. As you probably do, I know many devout, amazing people of faith who have churches and worship in churches that look very different from ours. And I am 0% offended by that. However, I do think that it illustrates a sense that many of us have when it comes to conversations about the Spirit. It is so different and so uncomfortable sometimes that we're not sure how to think about it. So we just try not to. Which gets me to one little tidbit in today's Scripture that I'd never really noticed before this week. The Spirit feels so different, we honestly don't know what to do with it, we don't want to talk about it. And then it says this in verse 16, I never noticed it before this week. Verse 16 says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. Another advocate. According to Jesus, the Spirit is another advocate that will always be with us. I have tended in my life to so thoroughly separate the work of the Spirit and the work of Jesus that I have missed this, and it honestly kind of stood out to me for some reason, that their work would be this close, that the Spirit could be another advocate as Jesus was. And don't get me wrong, there are some things that Christ did that need not be repeated. The cross, the incarnation, fill in the blanks. But in many ways, the Holy Spirit is simply carrying on the work that Jesus was doing 
in Jesus' physical absence, right? The Holy Spirit is another advocate. The Greek word here for advocate is paraclete, uh, which might be translated in your Bibles. Maybe you'll hear comforter or companion, advocate, helper. It literally means called, the verb kletos, called, and para, alongside. Someone who's called alongside you, which is a pretty beautiful image. I like that term, advocate, here, though. Because any time in my past, and this shows a little bit about what I was brought up with, any time I've thought about needing an advocate in regards to God, it was in the sense that I needed someone to advocate for me to God. Right? I needed, it was part of my theological upbringing to think I needed a good defense attorney. I have tended to think of it, the advocate, like a public defender going to bat for me against a justifiably angry God. But I don't think that was the role of Jesus at all, and I don't think that's the role of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I'd see Jesus more as an advocate of God to us. Someone who's helping us to understand and see who God really is and what God is really up to. To use another term, I see the Spirit, I see Jesus as the glorification or magnification of God, a way for us to get a better look. The advocate helps zoom in on God's truest nature and character. And in this sense, at least, if not more so than this, I think the Holy Spirit is certainly carrying on much of Christ's work. It is another advocate. Now remember, in this moment, the whole point of this teaching of Jesus is to comfort the disciples. This whole section started off with do not be afraid, with peace. He's been giving them some pretty difficult news if you read the scriptures leading up to this. The person that they have given up their entire lives for is now saying that he is leaving, and it hasn't been that long. He also told them that there's someone among them who will betray him, one who shares the table that will sell him out. Their world is about to be completely turned upside down in all of the worst ways imaginable. So Christ is trying to give them peace and comfort. Christ is drawing their eyes towards the continuity they will experience instead of the loss that they will experience. He tells them it will be okay. He tells them that they will not be alone, not ever. While Jesus is with them, and the Spirit to come will be with them. But the Spirit that comes will also be within them. There will literally never be another time, another place, another event, another celebration, another sadness or broken-hearted moment that they will experience alone. This is more than the sense that um, all those that we love stay with us, all that that is true and beautiful. Now, Christ is talking about something even bigger than that, more beautiful and more disturbing in the best ways. Because this good news of the Holy Spirit, what makes it good news is also what makes it so disruptive. The Holy Spirit reminds us and demonstrates to us that God is still present, God is still active, and God is still teaching us. And while this is all good news, it can get a more, more than a little bit uncomfortable at times. Because let's be honest, we do spend a lot of time talking about God as a past event and not a living reality. We study God, but do we live with God? We believe in God, but do we actively relate to God? 
I thought of, of this analogy. I spent most of my college years and a fair bit of time afterward obsessing about the one. When would I meet her? Who would she be? What would that be like, right? I had long, drawn-out conversations with others about the nature of this process and finding that person and what it would be like and why they were so slow to show up and accept my invitations. I had longer conversations about my successes. Those are shorter conversations, but longer conversations about my failures in the relationship arena and making this happen. I wrote horrible poetry in journals and pined away for this thing to happen one day. I sang along loudly in my car to songs about love that I had not yet had. But it was an exercise in thought, in belief. Uh, this summer, Sarah and I will have been married 20 years. It's hard to believe because we're like 30 years old. <laughs> but this summer, we'll be, have been married 20 years. And I have like zero connection whatsoever to those years, uh, to myself in those years I spent worrying about the one. Uh, not too long ago, I uncovered a bunch of old letters and old journals and stuff. I should have burned them on the spot because if like I got hit by a truck on the way home tonight, the thought of someone reading that stuff now makes, is mortifying. But it was so funny. I was reading this stuff and I have no, I, it's my handwriting. I wrote it. I have no connection to it whatsoever. That was an abstraction, and it's nothing like an actual relationship, right? A relationship is living and breathing. It's a changing dynamic every day. It's a lens. It's a different lens that you view the world through. It's, it's a way of looking at the world with someone all the time in the background, if not standing right next to you, right? A sense that that person is never not there anymore. It's a different thing. It's a relationship, not an idea. I think to believe and to embrace the Holy Spirit as part of the Trinitarian God is to believe that we are in that kind of relationship with God right now. It's not a system of belief. It's not a religious abstraction. It's not some ideas we have about the universe. I mean, this must have been what was so incredible for those disciples physically living with Jesus for those few years, right? God had flesh and blood, and he spoke to them, and they watched him. They physically lived life with Jesus. They were in contact with God every day. It was daily and dynamic and life-altering the way a relationship with someone like that is. They were with God every day. It must have been an amazing comfort and for the same reasons that it must have been profoundly disruptive for them. Relationships are always changing us they're always changing you. They're always changing the person you're in a relationship with. I can imagine it would have been a profound sense of loss to think about that going away for them. But Jesus tells them not to be afraid. Jesus tells them not to let their heart be troubled. And by extension, Jesus gives us those same words. For God is alive. God is working. God will still be with them and within them, and it is as true for us today as it was for them back then. And this is why we have that call and response each week at the end of the service, the passing of God's peace. The Lord be with you, and all with you. Although usually a little louder and more together than that, but... <laughs> 
This is not just a tidy way, a tidy way of closing the service saying, get out of here. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. The Lord be with you, and also with you is a promise we cling to. It is the good news that God is not done. God is not done with us or with this world we live in. That God is with us. It is the hope that comes from knowing that we are in relationship with God right now. It's not an abstraction, and it's not a past event. In a very real way, we are still living with God, as wonderful and disruptive as that truth may be. If you continue to read after the Gospels into the book of Acts, you will see this good and disruptive news play out over and over again for those who think they have God figured out. Every time God begins to get treated like a fixed thing, something that has been learned or fully understood, the Holy Spirit begins to act and move and relate in ways they never imagined. Every time. The church argues. The Spirit keeps moving. The church digs in. The Spirit keeps moving. They have council meetings like any good church does when they need to figure out what God wants, and the Spirit just keeps moving. God still has more to teach, more to activate, more to do in this world. God is in relationship with us and with God's creation, then and now. God is every bit as present, as good, and disruptive as God has ever been. God is still with us. God is still within us. And that should give us as much comfort as it does keep us on our toes. Because it was never Christ's plan to leave us alone. That's good news. And that should bring us peace. And hopefully it won't bring us quiet. Because God is on the move. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that often we, we treat all of this as a thing that is settled and done. We talk about it as history. We think about you as an abstract idea. But God, may we lean into the good news of the Trinitarian idea the good news that you are not just a God who is above us, that you are not just a God who at one point in history was actually with us, but you are a God who right now is living within us. That you are still moving and still working and still doing something in this world. That we, as creation, can be in relationship with you, the Creator. God, may we be comforted and disrupted by that truth. May we be comforted by the idea that there is no place we will go, nothing we will experience by ourselves anymore. And may we be disrupted by that same truth. God, we are grateful that you are a living and active God. May we never take that for granted. We love you and we ask all these things in your name. Amen.